according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me in uh, Proverbs, Proverbs 22. I really want to get through verse 16 either today or next week, so we'll see if we go fast enough, we can even get there by today. But anyway, we have a natural breaking point coming up in between verse 16 and verse 17. And if uh, if that's where we get this week or next, that would work out pretty well. Uh, remember, we have class today. We have class, this is the 7th, next week on the 14th. And then we're off for the 21st and the 28th. So there'll be two Wednesday mornings that we won't be here at the end of the month. All right, God of Spirit, He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth in preparation for the study of the Word of God. Let's take a moment for silent prayer and call upon our Father in His faithfulness. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before You this morning thankful for truth, thankful for the, the faithfulness of Your truth. Day after day, month after month, year after year, generation by generation, Father, you are the faithful one. And we rejoice that today we have this blessing once again to study to show ourselves approved. So we ask for your hand to be upon us as you open our eyes, open our ears, and soften our hearts. We thank you and we praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so uh, dealing with uh, last week we dealt with verse 13 with the sluggard. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside, I will be killed in the streets. And uh, let me get our slideshow up to where we were. Look at all those slides. We've done a lot in this chapter. So, there's the sluggard. The sluggard eventually reaches a point where his excuses are absurd. You know, it's like the dog ate my homework. Really? You know, there's a lion in the street? Seriously? Um, why hasn't anybody killed him yet? You know, I mean, if, if it's really that obvious that there's a lion in the street, I suspect the king or the, the city lord or somebody would send the troops out, the guards with weapons, and, and that, that lion's got to go. And uh, I just don't believe your, your excuses here. And uh, But it does. And this is the thing. So when when you want... <laughs> When you want to justify what you're doing, then logic doesn't matter. You can create your own logic. You can invent your own insanity and, and just go along with it, and, uh, and there you have it. So we seem to be living in a culture these days where this is happening, where people are just making things up and believing that they're true, and then insisting that other people have to join in their delusions, as if you have to also pretend that it's true, and if you don't pretend with them that it's true, well then there's something wrong with you. You're a you're a hater, or you're a you're just a bad person if you don't uh, play along with with the insanity. And so, yes, there's a lion in the streets. I'll be killed. There's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. And, and what needs to happen is someone with love, speaking the truth in love, and firm discipline in the wisdom of the Word of God needs to to kick that sluggard in the butt and say, hey, uh, you know, quit lying. Get get out there and and uh, do what you're commanded to do. So those are the issues there. We have uh, studied the sluggard repeatedly throughout the uh, the book of Proverbs. We do notice though a progression that the longer you remain in darkness there is an, a, an impact. There is damage that gets done. You have soul damage that gets done. 
And when we have uh, idioms and expressions in Proverbs that speak about a, uh, a lacking in heart, for example, that's one of the idioms. And it speaks to the soul damage that gets done when your heart, the core of your being, is, uh, is deficient in those, uh, in those ways. So we do see a, uh, an impact in the capacity for rational thought. And you lose that capacity the longer that you stay in the darkness because the darkness is intended to be blinding. It's intended to confuse your spiritual understanding. Proverbs does develop the sluggard character with increasing descriptions of patheticness, reaching the point where even just, you know, you put your hand into the plate and that's just as far as you can go. You can't get your hand out of the plate to, uh, to get the food to your mouth. And that becomes uh, really the, the ludicrous extent to which this goes. All right, so we get past verse 13 then and uh, see if we can get through 14 and 15 today. The mouth of an adulteress is a deep pit. He who is cursed of the Lord will fall into it. And so we're back to the sexual issues here with adultery and fornication. Something I want to highlight, not only in this passage, but repeatedly throughout much of Scripture, is how fornication is not just physical. Fornication is not just physical, just like by God's design. The marital union is not just a physical union. And so when we're talking about uh, one man and one woman in the bonds of marriage, then we're talking about God's purpose and design for human sexuality. Anything beyond that is called fornication. And so, um, but it too, just like the design for marriage, it too is more than just a body joining. It's more than just putting two bodies together. It connects the souls together. It connects, it is a spiritual activity between two uh, that are in the image of God. And uh, the design of the woman to help the man as, they, as his helper, as together they image God, is the pattern. And so fornication is a soul-spirit-body activity. It defiles both flesh and spirit, and it enslaves the soul with a significant mastery. And we have to, to go through this again. I think we uh, hit it briefly at the end of last week, and I want to hit it again. doesn't hurt to hit it as many times as possible to reinforce it for our understanding and then for our own capacity to be able to explain to others. So um, taking not only Proverbs 22, but also the New Testament as we deal with this, and some of these expressions that I think become clear when you identify the truth for what it is. The recognition that it's not just a physical activity. And so we have um, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And this is a very clear picture that if we allow it to master it, to master us, that's exactly what it's going to do. And this applies to food, this applies to alcohol, this applies to sex. Those, and probably more than that, but those are the three items that are mentioned here in this immediate context. It seems to me that the, the nature of fallen humanity is such that we are prone to addictive uh, uh, actions, uh, thought processes, behaviors, uh, and so forth. I think God's design is for loyalty. God's design is for consistent loyalty. And so um, when, it's, when it's redeemed in, in for righteousness' sake, then um, these, these habits, these ruts, these patterns that we get into are all sanctified and glorious. And, and we want to be 
uh, dedicated to God. We want to be faithful in, uh, in every righteous way. So that's the design. But when the design gets perverted through the fall, through carnality, through darkness, then what should be uh, chesed loyalty or what should be consistency then becomes just destructive. It becomes addictive and it becomes uh, where those habits and patterns and ruts are, uh, are self-destructive and, and, and a dead-end street. So uh, again, back to 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And this is a bigger issue than just avoiding sin, because this shows that there can be um, perfectly acceptable activities. There can be uh, you know, things that are not sinful, but they're not profitable. So we have liberty to do these things. We have freedom, we have liberty, and, and we can, uh, we can uh, pursue any number of, of uh, activities and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, but at the point where we get mastered, where we become enslaved, where we've, we've crossed a line from liberty into bondage, um, now we've got a problem. And so it illustrates with food, it illustrates with alcohol, it illustrates with, with fornication. Food is for the stomach, the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. So understand what's the purpose of eating, okay? What's the purpose of drinking? What's the purpose of, of having sex? What's the purpose in all these things that God has designed? And if we forget the purpose and we invent our own purposes or we abuse these things, uh, then we're subject to the mastery that will happen. So the body is not for fornication but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. So God uh, has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. Will also raise us up through His power. That's both eternal focus when we die and we're raised and we go to heaven, but also in the here and now. We, uh, we walk in the newness of life here and now, and that's called God raising us up, lifting us up. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And this is the Old Testament definition of harlotry. The Old Testament definition of fornication is anything outside of marriage. Okay, It doesn't have to be, uh, I think sometimes we get in our minds that, that uh, it has to be uh, an actual you know, professional by vocation Uh, getting paid for it, prostitute in order to count as prostitution. That's not how the Bible defines it. Anything outside of marriage is called harlotry. Any any non-virgin that's not married has played the harlot in uh, in the the biblical definition of these things. And so uh, taking away the members of Christ and making them members of a prostitute, this is what happens. May it never be. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. And there is such a significance to this. What God has joined together, let no man part asunder. The, the, the blessings of what God has designed for the one man and the one woman to be united together as one flesh in marriage gets perverted every time uh, non-marital sexual activity is taking place. Do you not know? And I think sometimes people read this verse and they don't even think about it. They read it in such a watered-down way that it results in a tautology. It results in a in a in a non-statement uh, kind of kind of useless expression. It's like saying, uh, "Well, y'all know what a tautology is." It's just it's a, it's an empty statement. It's it's you're declaring itself as if that means anything. 
And so I think some people just read this, do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute has joined himself to a prostitute, right? Is one body with her. Well, if that's all it is, if that means that when they've, when they've united their bodies, they've united their bodies, well then what are you really saying? That's, that's like saying all bananas are bananas. You know, it's just like saying, you know, it's, it's, it's fundamentally it's a tautology. But the problem is, is people don't recognize that the truth of what this is saying is there is a one flesh dynamic that was designed by God the Father for our blessing, for us to serve Him, for us to glorify Him, uh, for the, the wife to complete the husband and the husband and wife together to, uh, to image God in this way. In any event, the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now how about that? We've got a one spirit relationship as well as a one flesh relationship. So I think these things are important. Second Corinthians, uh, well let me back up, there's two more verses here in 18. I'm supposed to go down to verse 20. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the fornicator, the immoral man, sins against his own body. And uh, we're not saying, you know, that of course all sins are sins and Jesus paid for them all. We're not saying that my sins are better than yours or anybody else's. But what we are saying, Scripture makes this case, that in the whole broad universe of sins, they are what they are, but in this one aspect of sin, there is an additional consideration that you have to you have to identify with because God Himself declares this. So every other sin in the known universe is one thing, but this particular sin, sinning against your own body through the fornication action. All right, let's get to Second Corinthians. You see, this is a separation issue. We also see the mastery concept that gets explained here as well. When Paul tells them, you are not restrained by us, you are restrained in your own affections. And just like in 1 Corinthians when he talks about not being mastered by anything, if we allow ourselves to be mastered by these things, then who can we, who do we blame? Who do we point the finger at? Just ourselves. You are restrained by your own affections. It says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Why does it use that kind of language? Why doesn't it just use something lighter, something simpler? No, it talks about a bondage. And when you are in that fellowship, in that harmony, in that, like you try to be in that fellowship, in that harmony, there really isn't any. But when you attempt to create that, or when you try to foster that in a carnal way, what you've ended up doing is putting yourself in bondage. So do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? And this point is getting hammered home. It's getting hammered home by the fact that we got four, what four or five different illustrations that are all saying the same thing over and over and over again. So you want to talk about partnership? Do that word study. You want to talk about fellowship? Do that word study. You want to talk about harmony? Do that word study. You want to talk about having something in common? Do that word study. Or agreement, okay? All five of those issues is making the same point. That we're supposed to have all of this with Jesus Christ and we're supposed to have all of this with one another in Jesus Christ. 
But for the unbeliever, the, uh, the lawless, the darkness with Belial, okay, with the idolatry of this fallen world, we have nothing in common with that. We've been saved out of that. For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. This lost and dying world and their satanic wisdom and their carnal lifestyles and all the stuff that they're pursuing, God doesn't have fellowship with that. He's not dwelling with that. They're not His people. They are of their father the devil and the conflict there, we understand. Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch which is unclean, and I will welcome you. I'll be a father to you, be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And so therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Defilements of flesh and spirit. Again, I would point out, fornication is a soul-spirit-body activity. It defiles both flesh and spirit in these... uh, in these activities. Alright, now in the book of Proverbs we have seen the warnings against uh, fornication repeatedly. Most of the warnings hmm. Alright, I've got to quit doing that. I've got an awkward spot on the slide. That, Yeah, that's too small. Most of the sexual warnings in Proverbs are in the early chapters. Uh, chapter 2, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 9. Notice all of those are in uh, Proverbs 1 through 9, which we've titled the parental wisdom portion of the book. These, uh, this is the portion of Proverbs where you have time and time again, you have a father and a mother that are pouring out their heart to their son to, to walk in wisdom. So most of the sexual warnings are in the early chapters, but there are two exceptions that appear later here in 22.14, and then we'll have another one that uh, is brought in in chapter 23. Since this is a topic that the Holy Spirit believed needed to be repeated multiple times, I don't mind looking at these verses again. Let's do that. That way I can still see the list of verses and we can still look at them in a Bible. Give that a shot. All right. So here in Proverbs 22, 14, the mouth of an adulteress is a deep pit. He who is cursed of the Lord will fall into it. And so we recognize that this is um, an issue of of blessing versus cursing. And if we want to be on the blessing side of God's ledger, then we understand the things that we need to steer clear of. We understand the walk of holiness that we need to pursue as we've been seeing time and time again. Cursed of the Lord. We'll get to 23 shortly. Let's take these in order though, starting with Proverbs 2.16. And what's the point in learning the Word of God? Well, I just keep backing up. (laughs) All right, we'll back up. My son, if you will receive my words, in other words, there's good things are going to happen to you if you become a disciple, if you're living in the Word of God. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. And so one of the, the primary duties that any parents have is to, uh, to lead their children to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and then to ground them 
in a, in a positive volition hunger for the Word of God. And to recognize that it's, it has to be received, it has to be treasured. You've got to be eager, that's the attentive ear, not the take it or leave it or well it's nice if there's nothing else to do today. Uh, but it should be attentive, it should be eager for doctrine. Incline your heart to understanding. That's the direction you want to be leaning. So um, that's the, the natural direction you're going to fall is towards doctrine. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. Notice the, the priority, the passion, the hunger for doctrine. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, from His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. So good things happen when you're positive to Bible doctrine. When you're living in the Word of God. You're you're identifying with the Lord, you're abiding in His truth, and He's there for you. He's watching over you. Guarding the paths of justice, He preserves the way of His godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. So this is the value. You're equipped. Your senses are trained to discern between good and evil. And you have a divine viewpoint through a life that's spent in the Word of God. These are all the positive benefits. For wisdom will enter your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Remember, doctrine is a living thing. It's the living and abiding Word of God. You want that inside of you. You want that just, you want to have the, the doctrine and residency that's is not just sitting there doing nothing, it's sitting there and it's alive. And it's able to, pro, uh, to prod and to poke and to remind you and to stir, you, uh, stir up your, your conscience and all the things that doctrine is able to do, assuming that you've brought it in and you've processed it and it's dwelling richly within you. My Colossians tells us to let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. So wisdom will enter your heart, knowledge will be pleasant to your soul, discretion will guard you, understanding will watch over you. And this is the, again, this is the best thing we can do as parents in raising our children. We can't follow them around everywhere. We can't, especially when they're adults, when they're grown and gone, what, what are you going to do then? So you want to get them grounded while you got them. And then you let the Word of God do its work after, after they're on their own, when they're in their own generation. Now, one of the best things it'll do for them is this, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. So there's a crowd they don't need to be walking with, and they're going to know better when they're, when they're living in the Word of God who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil. Fundamentally, the reason why we've got such a gang pandemic in our nation today, the gangs have taken over because there's no families for these these young men, these young women. And so without families, without the structure of family discipline and parental discipline and love, without any of that, they, uh, they find their belonging on the street. They find that's where they plug in, that's where they fit in, they have acceptance. It's cruel, it's harsh, it's, uh, it's just a brutal way of life, but that's, that's where they're going. So the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways. Here's another benefit, to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. Okay. 
If you're embracing the Word of God, then that's going to guide you against the wrong kind of physical and spiritual embracing that is with, uh, with these godless uh, folks that are out there. All right, the, the fornicators, the crowd that's living in open defiance of God's standards. That leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. So this married woman, she's got some kind of a past, and that past has uh, been very unstable, and now she's doing what she's doing. For her house sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. Now these statements, I think sometimes we dismiss them, or sometimes we poo-poo them and say, oh come on, what's the harm? It's describing a very real harm. And describing the nature of this snare when you surrender to the, to the spiritual influence of this darkness. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. So the, the Word of God is designed to, to protect you from this. Okay, In, uh, in these ways. Alright, so that's the first. That's the first warning. And you think, okay, that's sufficient, right? <laughs> you, you, you teach your children this, uh, you teach them once, and then it's, you never have to bring it up ever again. Okay? Wrong. You have to keep bringing it up again and again and again. And um, the reminders are always edifying, and as blunt as you want to make it, uh, you can't be too blunt, uh, because the Scripture is extremely blunt. And you just lay it out there. And, and you be honest with them too, related to the... the uh, <clears throat> The passing pleasures of sin. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 5. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion, that your lips may reserve knowledge. Again, this is parental wisdom. Father and mother pouring out their hearts to uh, to Solomon. And then how vital, I mean, we know how David and Solomon got their start, right? You talk about the the worst way imaginable to begin a marriage uh, with the David and Bathsheba background. Okay, And then the first child who dies and now the second child with Solomon. And they want to, and, and to me it's just a testimony to God's grace that even with the most horrendous of, of sexual failures with murder and everything else in that picture that from all we know in the scriptures that David was monogamous from that moment forward. We don't have any children born to David anywhere you track every one of David's wives and every one of David's children, the only one producing children from this moment forward is Bathsheba. And so it's curious to me how this episode impacted their thinking and impacted their marriage and and what followed. All right, verse 3, the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. So when she's seducing you, when she's talking to you, when everything sounds all sweet and, and her voice is soft and, and she smells nice and everything else is going on right there and your own um, you know, hormones are raging and whatever else is happening there, um, you need the doctrine. You need to flee. You need to be embracing the wisdom of God's Word because this, this is a real struggle. And, uh, and, and it, there's no sugarcoating in here. This is true. They do drip honey. Smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, in the end, see, this is the, the consequence. This is what happens down the road. This is what you're not thinking about when you're all 
um, hot and excited and taking off clothes and doing that? What's the outcome? What's the consequence? What's the long-term pain? What's the damage I'm doing? What's the damage I'm doing now that I'm going to carry with me years from now uh, into my marriage, into my later life? So in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable and she does not know it. And this is the nature of it. So in, in, in a lot of ways the, 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 the sex is only the symptom. The, the, the real issue is that we've got an unstable soul here that's just living in open defiance of the Word of God. And it does not go to a happy place. Okay? I mean, what God has designed for one man and one woman is that you have partners, you have heirs together in the grace of life. And you can, you can endure the testing and you can go through the struggles and you can, um, you know, the grace of God gets you through the, the tough times and you got somebody you're getting old with and, and you're, uh, uh, you know, you're just magnifying the Lord each step of the way with grace and glory. Not just you know, jumping in and out of bed with all these unstable partners over whatever length of time. So now then, my sons, listen to me, my sons, plural, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Far from her. Okay? Because proximity is trouble. <laughs> and how, how much fire do you want to play with? You will get burned. So it's not just avoid her Go far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Okay? Don't tempt yourself. Don't think, oh, well, I'll be all right. No, you're playing with it. Why are you playing with it? Why are you in that part of town? Why are you in that neighborhood? Why are you going to those parties? Why are you going to those social events? If, uh, if you're uh, keeping your way far from her, then you won't even be there. Or you will give your vigor to others, your years to the cruel one. And uh, again, these are the consequences later in life, the things you're not thinking about earlier in life. Strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. You know, of course there's earthly expenses, there's financial expenses, but then there's the spiritual entanglements there's everything else that's involved. <laughs> Paying child support for how many different uh, baby mamas out there and the kids they're raising or what else, what else are you doing? And then you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. <laughs> Not fun. And you say, how I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. See, then you can finally testify and agree, you know what? Dad was right. Mom was right. This is, the, this is what they were warning me about. Now I'm paying a price. And now my heartbreak is that I want to pass it on to my kids so they don't have this, this heartbreak. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Well, praise God he got close and got out of it. How about that? Again, this is um, 
when you go back to the, stop, uh, to the top of the chapter, when it begins with my son, I have to believe this is Solomon is writing this as the author of Proverbs, but he's actually in these early chapters, he's writing what David told him. He's writing from David's viewpoint. So this is David speaking. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly in the congregation. What David did was worthy of death under Mosaic law. As an adulterer, as a murderer. And yet by the grace of God he uh, was permitted to live out his days and finished his reign. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. So I love the fact that after all these warnings it then goes to, switches to the positive and gives the, gives the design for marriage, design for blessings. This uh, drinking water metaphor is, is still, you know, we understand it's still a sexual metaphor. It hasn't um, changed the topic. It's just changed the focus from what is uh, harmful to what is wonderful. Because you have your own provision. God has designed that for you. Fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? That's uncontrolled. That's pointless. That's a waste. Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. This is what God has provided. This is a blessing. Blessing for you, blessing for her. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Okay, well, this is kind of explicit. Why are we talking about breasts? What's this about? Because <laughs> you do. Scripture does. Okay? And we shouldn't be embarrassed and uh, for preaching the truth. Why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. He watches all his paths. So again, it's a spiritual issue. His own iniquities will capture the wicked. He will be held in the cords of his sin. See, it's bondage. If you're going to defy God's design and go embrace the bosom of a foreigner, well then, the cords of your sin. And he will die for lack of instruction and the greatness of his folly he will go astray. So we've got an entire chapter here from top to bottom, from verse 1 to verse 23. The whole chapter is given over to this. Saying, don't be embracing the strange woman. You've got your own wife. Okay? And if, in which in the plan of God, if you're still single, if you're not married yet, um, she's out there somewhere. God will bring her at the proper time. God will bring him at the proper time. In fact, chances are, depending on how old you are, it's most likely that your intended uh, spouse is, is uh, alive today. If God intends that for you, then start praying for it. All right, chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. Again, this is the benefit for living in the Word of God. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. It requires diligence, it requires application. You're not just learning this stuff, you're living it. And um, you're not getting bored with it and letting it go for a season. Not forsaking the teaching. You're continuously living in the Word of God. Bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck, when you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. Are, is this how saturated we are? We're supposed to be. 
We're going to sleep with, with prayer, we're going to sleep with Scripture on our minds, and we wake up with Scripture on our minds. In the morning I woke up, I was dreaming about a verse in Galatians, and then I uh, said, man, I need to get in my study and go find that verse. <laughs> I think God was talking to me. Um, now I'm starting to wonder, maybe it wasn't really in Galatians. i got to go find it. Um, but in my dream it was in Galatians, so we'll see. When you sleep they will watch over you, when you awake they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. See, it's not just factual information. It's, it's, the Word of God is not a secular pursuit. You're not memorizing facts. It is living and abiding. It is light producing. It is guidance for your soul. It is the, uh, the, uh, the lamp in this, in this world of darkness as we, as we survive in the angelic conflict. For reproofs, for discipline are the way of life. Very frequently when that light is shining, it's shining on our own sin issues and spotlighting the things that we've got to confess and deal with. Reproofs for discipline are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. That's, at least that's an admission, right? I mean, is there a beauty there? The verse says there is. The verse says that she has beauty. It just commands you not to desire it. It's not yours. Of course there's inner beauty, outer beauty and whatnot, but um, her beauty is not yours. Do not let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot one is reduced to a loaf of bread and an adulteress hunts for the precious life the soul damage that gets done, and that's what she's hunting for. She has a soul instability and it hungers and it feeds off of you. And once she ruins you, she's going to move on to the next one. And do you really want to be reduced to a loaf of bread? Do you want to be reduced to a commodity? To something that's just, you know, bought for a time and eaten and disposed of? An adulteress hunts for the precious life. We had this also, there's a passage in Ezekiel that addresses this with uh, the soul hunters that they are. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes in to his neighbor's wife. You're playing with fire and you get burned every time. That's what fire does. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Remember, God is the one that avenges in this. Hebrews 13 points that out. If you think, if you're an adulterer and you think that your biggest fear is, is her husband finding out that he's going to beat you up or he's going to kill you or whatever, well, her husband finding out is the least of your troubles. Because there's one who already sees, and that's your Father in heaven. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. This is His direct. He doesn't delegate this to the Son. He doesn't direct, delegate this to the Holy Spirit. God the Father Himself is the one that supervises this. So whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's hungry. You know, stealing is a sin, but you know, somebody that's starving, doing what he has to do to stay alive, okay, it doesn't make it right, but it's understandable you know, on a human level. When he's found, he must repay sevenfold. Okay, that's justice and there's restitution for the thief. We get that. 
But how do you do restitution in adultery? The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. This is that idiom about a deficient heart. You're actually lacking in your lavav, in your heart. It's doing soul damage. It's self-destructive activity. He would destroy himself who does it. That's why we don't support it. We don't take pride. We don't march in a parade. Um, I notice they don't have adultery parades. Okay, They have other sexual sins that parade, but it's self-destructive activity. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied, though you give many gifts. Okay, And so yes, the, the, uh, the wronged husband will have uh, vengeance on his mind, and you may come to a severe physical harm as a result of that, but God's already placed you under the spiritual discipline. So that's the the issue there. All right. You made your point. I get it. Chapter 2. Chapter 5. Wait until marriage because um, God's got a woman for you and, you know... um, and, and it'll be fun, okay? Wait for marriage. I get it. Okay, chapter 6, all right, I get it. Married women are off limits. No, every woman's off limits, except for yours, your wife, okay? Chapter 7. <laughs> you mean there's more? <laughs> yep. Scripture goes into this again and again and again and again, pounding the point home. Again, my son, keep my words, treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. And my teaching is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Right? We're not urging you to this as if somehow we're perfect and we've done everything right. David and Saul and Bathsheba did everything wrong. That's why they're so fervent and they're, um, they're begging for Solomon. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend. And uh, there's a value for sisters, <laughs> okay? There's a value for, um, you know, you, you learn, I mean, women are complicated anyway, but if you have sisters, it helps, okay? If you have sisters and you grow up with them, and then, you know, you're preparing yourself for the, the woman you're going to be married to someday. And call understanding your intimate friend. If you're intimate with God and the Word of God, then uh, you'll be prepared to be intimate with a woman. The blessings in the Word of God that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. Intimate with the Word of God. And it goes both directions too, by the way. All of this is oriented towards the man because David and Bathsheba were writing to Solomon, and Solomon was recording this in the book of Proverbs, but you can take all of this and flip it around for a, for a daughter, warning her against the strange man, against the, the uh, seducer, and so forth. And then he tells a story. At the window of my house I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense. Okay? And here's the story that he tells. And it's, an, it's a story to illustrate what he said in chapter 2, what he said in chapter 5, what he said in chapter 6, 
what he just introduced with those earlier verses, but now he's telling the story. So he sees this knucklehead passing through the street near her corner. So he's going to the wrong part of town and he knows it. And he takes the way to her house. He didn't have to go that way, but that's the way he decided he wanted to go. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. Oh my goodness. (laughs) He walked past there four different times. Okay, And God in His grace was providing the way of escape, providing the chance to repent and confess and get out of that part of town and run home and and thank God. Because he walked past at twilight and she wasn't there. That was his first repentance opportunity. He could have run home and, and been fine. Walked past a second time in the evening, third time, middle of the night. Walked past in the darkness. How many times is he going to go by? Oh, behold, a woman comes to meet him. Okay, oh, finally. <laughs> okay. This is not a coincidence. She's the one he's looking for. And uh, he's doomed, okay? Dressed as a harlot, cunning of heart, boisterous and rebellious, her feet do not remain at home. You know, she is now in the streets, now in the squares, lurks by every corner. Does this guy ever stop to think where she's coming home from or where she's been all these times he was looking for? Who she's been with, what she's been doing? That's not on his thoughts at all. She sees, she seizes him and kisses him and with a brazen face. She says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Therefore I've come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. As if he's something special. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. This knucklehead's like, oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> hmm. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon he will come home. So we can't get caught. We've got plenty of time. There's no reason not to. Everything is taken care of. And this is exactly what he wants to hear. And with her many persuasions she entices him. With her flattering lips she seduces him. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool. Now in reality, he, he was already carnal before he ever, you know, before any of this ever happened. Even going to that part of town. It's like David up on the roof. David was carnal before he ever had the sex with Bathsheba. Because the, the, the mental attitude precedes the overt activity until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare so he does not know that it will cost him his life. And so he's doing, I mean, beyond whatever physical damage he's doing and whatever other uh, diseases he comes home with and whatever else, but uh, then there's the spiritual damage that he's doing to his soul. That's the worst issue of all. Now therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Your, uh, your protection against this is not even going there. Avoid it. Stay away from it. You know what? Abstinence works every time it's tried. <laughs> every time. 
but it does become a heart issue. You become bound. Many are the victims that she has cast down. You think you're special? You're just the next one on the list, and there will be more after you. Numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. All right, and then one more in chapter 9, 13 through 18. And this with respect, we want to be embracing lady wisdom. We want to be, um, yeah, living again, living in the Word of God, embracing the right kind of woman, embracing lady wisdom. For the woman of folly is boisterous, she is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat uh, by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by, who are making their paths straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But she does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So something that gets emphasized like this five different times in the first nine chapters of Proverbs is, is a major point of emphasis. It's a big deal. We want to pay attention to that. It does come up later twice, our passage today in Proverbs twenty-two fourteen, And then it's coming up in chapter 23, um, and we're going to discuss this uh, in the introduction really, um, because this is in the section from twenty-two seventeen to 24. Um, these are not necessarily unique to Solomon. The words of the wise that he gathers from a variety of sources from really an international uh, gathering of, of wise men in his, in his day and age. That not only did Solomon write his own Proverbs, but he gathered Proverbs from, uh, from all of the, you know, Egypt and, and neighboring lands in, in the East, probably the Chaldeans and whoever else that he gathered wisdom from. We'll talk about this when we introduce it. Um, but 2217 does, uh, say incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. And we have 30 statements, the words of the wise that Solomon assembled. And that takes you through 22, 23, 24. So in the midst of that, in 22, or, I'm sorry, 23, 27, um, verse 26 says, give me your heart, my son. This is a, a rare use of my son once we get through chapters 1 through 9. Okay? Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit, and an adulterous woman is a narrow well. Surely she lurks as a robber and increases the faithless among men. Beyond personal destruction, there's actually societal damage that gets done among the uh, mankind at large or the community in general. Faithless among Man. So really that should be 26 through 28 there is that triplet of verses. All right. Let's look at 22.15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. We've had this principle before. All of these we've had before. Remember, this is a miniature book of Proverbs in these 16 verses. Um, 
You take verses 1 through 16 as a snapshot for the entire book of Proverbs. Everything we've studied up till now gets recapped here in these 16 verses. So we've talked about child raising. We've talked about child discipline. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. It's there, it's normal, but it needs to be removed. (laughs) This is part of our duties as parents. The nature of humanity, the nature of our creation. Raising adults requires the hard discipline of Adamically, spiritually dead children. Adamic, spiritually dead children. And I have to wonder, much of this is a consequence of the fall, but I don't think all of it is the consequence of the fall. I, um, this is something perhaps we can explore at some point, but had Adam and Eve not become sinners, and had they obeyed the commandment to be fruitful and multiply, which God commanded sinless humanity to be fruitful and multiply, And had they birthed Cain and Abel, sinless, without the fall, what kind of foolishness would Cain and Abel have had in their soul that would need the rod of discipline to to remove? Because foolishness is is not a sin consequence. Foolishness is is a doctrine deficiency. Foolishness is, is immaturity. It's normal for the immature. The child is immature. And uh, there is a rod of discipline that goes with the intellectual, academic instruction. Anyway, we get this time and time again. And I think the feature of the uh, fall does exacerbate the, the situation. It turns it into more than foolishness, but then a carnal foolishness. But uh, still... A, uh, a righteous foolishness is still foolishness. Uh, uh, Cain and Abel, if, even if had they been, what I'm trying to say is that even, even if they had been birthed without Adam and Eve falling into sin. Okay, or think about after the millennium. Think about after the millennium in the new heavens and on the new earth. Because there's no more sin, no more death. But there's a promise of a thousand generations that are going to be born to sinless humanity. So consider a sinless child that's born. He's not born with the, the knowledge of the Word of God. He's not born with a spiritual maturity. He's going to have a foolishness of childhood. Alright, and so I think we can see it here. I'm starting to think. I'll just tease it and then we'll spend next week we'll spend next week looking at this. But bound up in the heart of a child. It's a heart issue. It's the core of his soul. It's the core of his being. That's what the heart is. Okay, The core of his being. Remember when we procreate we're not just procreating bodies but we're procreating body, soul, and spirit. And uh, the body, soul, and spirit of our offspring that are birthed we find that this foolishness is in the, is in the heart. Is in the the core, okay? And it needs to be removed, and parents are the ones assigned to remove it. Because what happens if it's not removed? Then you have foolish adults. <laughs> and then you got a harder road in front of you at that point.
Proverbs 3.12. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. This is the principle. This is the, the nature of it. This is how God deals with us as a father to his children. This is how we deal with our children. This is, this is a fundamental issue of, of uh, parenting, of fathering, of call it the patriarchy if you will. That'll be fun. You can tweak some liberals while you're at it. The, the, the benefit of the patriarchy, see, and, and the tragedy of it all is this, this crowd that's raging against the patriarchy, they don't realize they're actually just selecting an alternative patriarchy. They're submitting to their father the devil. There's a different patriarchy that they think is better. They, they, they make government their daddy or they make, uh, and it's, it's hideous to me. They've got these other patriarchies that they choose. Just not the Bible. That's the one they're hostile to. But whom the Lord loves, he reproves. And so this is an application of a parental, a fatherly love, of the father's love. Even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And this is the, this is the, uh, the activity. And so we emulate this. And we recognize that this is necessary. Um, again, we're going to try to explore this next week. We're going to try to explore this kind of in two ways. Obviously the sin uh, of the world creates those sin issues, but even without sin, even without sin is a foolishness that has to be addressed. Even without sin is the, the immature perspective of youth that is limited in what they have seen, limited in what they know, limited in what they understand, and and infrequently um, not accurate in what they think to be true. Because again, based on that, the limitations of their youth, that those those human limitations would be there regardless, with sin, without sin, and whatnot. Just the, the limitations of that youthful perspective are going to result in wrong conclusions. Jesus was wrong when he was 12 years old. And he asked his mom and dad, did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? And he did not know that they did not know. And, and when he asked him that question, it was when he was first figuring that out. That's when he learned, oh, they didn't know. He thought they knew. He was wrong. Ooh, factually incorrect, okay? He wasn't sinning. Don't get, don't relax, okay? Sometimes I get people vibrating at this, okay? You can be wrong and not be sinning because you, in your youth, you have a perception and based on a perception you make an assumption and you're wrong. And then you learn, oh. And when you do learn, it's best to admit that you're wrong and that you've learned and that now you have better information. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't stomp his feet and send them away and say, well, who do you think you are? I must be about my father's business. No. He's, he remains in subjection with them. He returns with them to Nazareth. Okay? I think that, that episode is so vital. If you want to review that, it's sitting on the website and it's, there's a good series of classes that we taught on that particular event. All right, well, we'll come back to this next week um, and we'll deal with these verses and then, uh, yeah, that'll be a good class next week and then we'll have two weeks off. So um, 
Yeah. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for these blessings. I pray as we've reviewed, um, I trust we've learned something today, Father. We've, we've reviewed verses that we've studied before and uh, we recognize that, that uh, uh, marriage is where sex belongs and that adultery and fornication is always wrong. But I pray that uh, we've learned uh, things that will reinforce them in, in, in a way stronger than ever, that we've learned perhaps ways that we can explain these to, uh, to our children and grandchildren and others. So Father, I just thank you and praise you for the truth of your word and uh, for allowing us to be partakers of your truth on this day. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.